fair warning that I'm preaching on a dirty word today. Evangelism. That's an uncomfortable word for many Episcopalians. Maybe because it's so close to evangelical. The evangelism that our gospel reveals today is not that of conservative evangelical fundamentalism from the 1920s or even today. Rather, the Samaritan woman at the well is, I feel, a supreme evangelist in its ancient meaning and context. So if you don't like the word evangelism, please don't tune out. I'll be fairly brief due to our very long gospel passage. And I know that this message applies to each and every one here and online. Evangelium in Latin and Greek means good news. It means messenger. That's all. There were many evangelists in ancient Israel. Certainly the four gospel writers were messengers of the good news. And added to that list would be the woman at the well, if only we knew her name. I am an evangelist at heart. Always have been. If I feel God at work in my life, I want you to know about it. When we're called to go out into the world as Christians, last week's sermon, the point is to spread the word about God's transformational love. So how do we do that? Well, here's the good news, the great news for some. You don't need to speak. You don't need to say a word, but you can. There are three actions to being an evangelist, and then today I'm inviting you to this as a Lenten task. This comes from a little book here that I love that's called What is Evangelism? authored by Episcopal priest and pro professor Patricia Lyons. I'm sure you have your ideas about what evangelism is. Well, the first action might surprise you. It is listening. Just listening. Just listening. Not even speaking. Great for those who identify as introverts. People yearn to be heard. We are incredible messengers of God's love just by listening. The second word is wondering. This can also be done silently. I wonder where I'll see God at work in and through the people around me today. I wonder. And the third is naming. This is where we have to speak up. And all three are equally vital. Jesus was an evangelist, this we know. As a Jewish man, he shouldn't have even been speaking to a woman or to a Samaritan, and she was both. He wasn't bound to the fear and prejudice around women at that time, and he treated her as fully human. He engaged with her, he heard her, he conveyed that he knew her, he loved her, he listened. All of which he does for us too, by the way. And what happens next? She's intrigued. She's amazed. She's lit on fire by his spirit. She can't help but go and share the good news. Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. 
She's even in wonder. He can't be the Messiah, can he? Then what happens? Because of her sharing to her story, many others come to believe in Jesus. Isn't that so true of us? We hear someone else's story, but we need to have our own. So the people she told, the other Samaritans, went to Jesus and asked him to stay with them, to abide with them, and he did for two days. And after that, many more believed, not only because of her story, but now because of their own. And the number of people who came to know God was growing and spreading beautifully, as it does. So this is evangelism, listening, wondering, and naming. Those are the three actions. Now let's better understand number three, naming. There's a reason that I'm not calling this one sharing. When we tell our spiritual encounters with God stories, yes, we're sharing. But we're also naming. An example is this. I feel God showed up in my life in a very particular way. I share that with others in my words and language. It doesn't need to be churchy or theological. I just share a story of faith and name where God is in it. So I'm going to give you one of mine. God speaks to me in very particular ways, grabbing my attention through music, through signs, and even in dreams. I have so many of these stories to share, but here, here's a humdinger for you. This is my favorite. I was applying for an associate priest position at a church soon after my ordination, and I went for an all-day interview. It went well. It was a big parish and a position that I was a good fit for. I was one of three finalists in the search. I was at that point of waiting for the phone call. Did I get the job? But one afternoon, I was driving on a major city street, and a call came in from the church. I quickly pulled over into the very first spot I could find on the street so that I could take the call without any distractions. I answered, and the moment I heard the person say my name, I knew I didn't get the job. I could hear the apology in her voice. I listened, I hung up, and sure, I was disappointed. I was disappointed. And just then, I looked up, and right outside of my passenger car window was a hair salon. And the name of the salon was on the outside of the building in giant letters, gold letters, with sparkling circles all around. You couldn't miss it. And the word was trust. I actually laughed out loud. I laughed out loud, like, God, oh, you knew you had to smack me in the face with this right away. God knew he had to get my attention quickly and in huge letters, and he did. I was immediately moved from disappointment to faith. And it ends up being an incredible blessing in disguise, truly. Ask me later if you want to see a picture of that sign. I'll show you. So I can't help but share, share my story and name how I feel that God showed up in my life, supporting me and guiding me. And when I share that story and my kids hear that, or my spouse hear that, hears that, 
or you hear that, maybe there's a seed planted for how they and you hear and feel God in your lives too. That is exactly what the woman at the well did. Naming is very connected to steps one and two. When we listen to someone else and we wonder where God's love is in their story, we can name it to them. But here's the key point, the key point from this. We can name it to them in their language, not ours. We have to meet them where they are. So for example, if I hear one of my brothers, like my, tr- my real brother, if I hear one of his stories, and I name where I hear the divine in it, and I say something like, oh, I see where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ showed up for you there, he would definitely tune out, because that's not the language he uses for God. And I'm not listening well, and I'm also sounding like a stereotypical evangelical that I don't mean to be. But if I use his language and name where I see and hear God in it, God, the word he uses, then I plant seeds. Or if I listen to my son's girlfriend's story, who I know is very connected to angels, and I name where God shows up in the language that I hear her using, then I help her to feel heard and honored and nurtured and loved the way that Jesus was with the woman at the well. We need to be good listeners and meet someone with the language that they use. It doesn't mean we can't use ours. When we tell our stories, we get to use our language. You follow? I went to a preaching excellence program, and we did a wonderful exercise led by an Episcopalian and author named Nora Gallagher. Maybe you've heard of her. She wrote a memoir called Moonlight Sonata at the Mayo Clinic. Nora is a lover of words and very particular about how they are used for spiritual stories. So she asked everyone to call to mind an important story in their lives, a sacred story, a God moment, like maybe my trust story. Then we were asked what words described that feeling that we had, and then she wrote them one at a time on a big board for all of us to see. So we're shouting out these words, merciful, resurrecting, incarnational. It was a room full of senior year seminarians. You know we were steeped in theological study and thought we knew everything. So you get where these are coming from. Then we were to write a short letter, five minutes, about our God moment to our dearest friend who is not a Bible-thumping churchgoer, maybe not even Christian. And we were to not use any of the words on that board. What? Like, we maybe forgot how to speak without those words. But why? Because most people don't speak like you, Nora said. I thought of that experience when, when this book spoke of naming where you see God in another person's life but using their language. The woman at the well had a transforming encounter with Jesus. She was moved to a deeper knowledge and love of God. She was offered radical gifts, respect, 
inclusion, and ideas about truth and spirit. She was instantly lit up, and she just wanted to share and name her story, which she did. And she inspired others to engage with Jesus. Maybe, maybe, when we listen well and wonder and name, then we too will inspire others to engage deeper with their faith in their way, in their time. Our job as evangelists is not to fill our pews on a Sunday. Our job is to be beacons of light in the world, spreading the good news of God's incredible love and grace. So let's get more comfortable with the word evangelism for what it is, for what it was then, and what it can be for us now. Let's not overthink it, but just approach it as simply being messengers of God's good news. So let us pray that we are given ears to hear someone else's story and really listen. Let us pray to sit in wonder of God's role in their lives and ours. And let us be courageous enough, yes, courageous, to name where we see God at work around us. That's an invitation to transformation on this third Sunday in Lent. Amen.